session with Dr. Farid Holaku. Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Uh, no callers for tonight's show because I'm also broadcasting on Instagram Live spontaneously. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest your topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes and Spotify. So let's get into the books of the week. The book for this week that I'll talk about on next Monday's show is You're Not Listening by Kate Murphy. You're not listening, what you're missing, and why it matters. And so I do talk about how I judge books by their covers and their titles, and this is definitely one of those. Uh, listening is um, one of the funnier, uh, one of the more interesting parts of communication. What I, what I said funny was that I was thinking about how I'm going to read this book on listening and then talk to you about it for about an hour straight, but um, I recognize the irony in that. But I do hope to, of myself, learn a bit more about the important role of listening in our communication and to share some of those insights with you on next week's show. The book of the week from last week that I'll talk about tonight is The Deviant's War by Eric Servini. The Deviant's War, The Homosexual versus the United States of America, um, a few people have commented on the cover since I just mentioned covers about how cool and nice it is. It really is nice. Um, but the substance of the book also was very good and quite interesting and really took me on a journey as you go through the legal battles or the legal journey that the homosexual or the LGBTQ community has gone through in the United States starting back from the 50s. And the book centers around an astronomer named Frank Kameny, who um, was an, he was an astronomer and then he had started to work for the government, but he had been arrested in San Francisco in a bathroom, sometimes they're called tea rooms, where men would meet each other to have sexual exchanges. Actually, in the what happened with him, it was a very brief interaction, but there was police or members of the moral squads or different squads that were related to those types of titles who saw them, saw him and this gentleman arrested him. And then so now he had this um, on his record, eventually got to his employers and he, he could no longer have a security cle clearance. And I'll get into some of those issues, but the book was really a fascinating and very interesting portrayal. You do feel like you get to see history as it's happening or has it happened and by as it's happening, I mean, you feel like you're going through it. And what was interesting for me was recognizing how the individuals and who they were did not change, people of the members of the LGBTQ community, but seeing how slowly society and people and then even laws and things related to that began to change. And so the feeling towards them was very different, even though who they were, what they were doing was the same which is something to keep in mind when we look at any issue, anything that's going on in society where things might seem fixed. So you might think, well, if people who are LGBTQ are, let's say, having higher rates of this or that, that means those people have higher rates of, let's say, a mental illness or might be more likely uh, to attempt or commit suicide. But of course, when we recognize 
the way society treats them and feels about them is going to have a significant impact on their experience, then of course um, we'll see different outcomes, but it doesn't mean they are different. So uh, that reminds me of in reading How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi, uh, this mentality that all human beings are equal, that there aren't good and bad or people who are um, uh, more immoral or moral, but when we have different policies, when people are treated differently, that has a big impact. An interesting study I remember reading uh, a year or two back related to gay marriage, which does come um, up in the book, near the end of the book, because it's such a recent occurrence, the legalization of gay marriage in the United States. I think it was uh, June, uh, it was 2015, I believe. Um, But there were studies showing that different states had legalized gay marriage in the United States at different times. And what they found was after that, there were reductions in the suicide rates of LGBTQ teens in those states where marriage was legalized, same-sex marriage was legalized. And so we see that the connection between the messages we give to people, we give to individuals based on laws, what they're allowed to do and not allowed to do, have significant impacts because we're telling them if we accept them, which can even, um, of course, make them feel unaccepted in society, but affect how they feel about themselves. They might not accept themselves. So we see that by changing the laws to making things more equal and letting people know you are not different or you're definitely not worse than others and we're giving you the same rights as everyone else, has impacts on how those individuals feel about themselves and and how they can live their lives. So in this book, you see the LGBTQ community not that long ago, especially near the end of the book. Uh, It was around the time when I was born, and then, of course, some of the things were very, very recent at the end of the book. So we see these, these things were happening recently, and we still know that not everyone is treated equally. Something for us to keep in mind when we read books like this, for me was one, it's not ancient history, it's very recent history. And on top of that, there's people now who are going through these things. So we have to pay attention to who is currently suffering and struggling and does not have equal rights. Who is it that still is being oppressed in different ways? And even um, when a law changes, let's say uh, slavery was abolished, it didn't mean the treatment of African Americans was now equal to whites. And so a lot of laws have changed for the LGBTQ community, but it doesn't mean they don't face any kind of discrimination or persecution. And on top of that, um, there are still laws that discriminate against members of the LGBTQ community, including things like um, people who are trans cannot uh, enlist in the army. And so sometimes when you share something like that, okay, well, maybe you don't want, who, who would want to be in the army? Why would you want to fight? Which, of course, many people want to do that. But the thing you have to look at is the discriminatory part of the law. So if they were going to pass a law that said um, Iranians, not even Iranians, a group that I'm not, people who are Mexican cannot smoke crack cocaine, which is very bad for you, I would fight against that law because it's discriminating against a certain group and telling them they're treated differently than others. So it's not even if the thing is good. So even if you, let's say, think you're a pacifist and don't support war, um, so you say, oh, they can't fight, that's good. But we're looking at the discriminatory part of the law. When we're telling any group that you are not equal to, not good enough, you can't fight for your country, you can't do this, you can't do that, that is the part that I would take issue with. And so we have to always be looking for 
what aspects of society, what individuals, what groups are being neglected or um, not given full rights in some ways. And as I talked about when I was discussing the book, Being Human by Judith Human, people did not even realize, and still maybe don't realize in some ways, that individuals who are disabled, for example, might be left out of certain um, experiences or certain physical facilities or areas because they're not uh, accessible. So it, it makes us realize that you, I mentioned last week about being woke isn't something that you just become and now you know every type of injustice and you're an expert on all of it. First of all, you never even know everything that's going on now, but oftentimes we aren't even aware of things we're not aware of, groups who are being discriminated against that we're not recognizing. And so we always have to be aware and mindful of that. Um, I recognize when I talk about some of these very delicate issues, first of all, I might say something wrong now or something that would be either insensitive or not the most optimal way of saying something with respect to, let's say, a certain group. But on top of that, I'm sure if people listen in the future, they can look back at what I'm saying and be like, this is, you know, he said this that way. Why he, I can't believe he mentioned it in this way because these things will evolve and change. So we always have to be paying attention to ourselves, reflecting on ourselves to understand the ways that we might not even be aware of the injustices that are going on. So I know that was a kind of a tangent about going away from this book, but The Deviance War uh, by Eric Cervini, The Homosexual Versus the United States. So we see Frank Kameny, who he lost his security clearance, and because he was an astronomer, and also this was a very exciting time for someone in the field of astronomy, um, the Russians had launched Sputnik, and there was this huge war, this kind of like a space war of trying to land on the moon. And so there was this big push to, to get scientists and astronomers and people who could help in this battle, so to speak. And Frank Kameny wanted to be a part of that, but soon after working for the government, he lost his position. He could not get security clearance to work in other types of jobs as an astronomer because they usually required a security clearance, and he was not allowed to get it because he was... Um, homosexual and because that was clear because of this arrest that he had and the blatant discrimination is of course there but also the ways people justify discriminating Um, one of the things that would come up when it came to security clearance was they would say there's this concern that homosexuals can be blackmailed because you could find out that they've committed homosexual act and because it's illegal at the time and also they would uh lose their job they the person could then blackmail them for let's say top secret information uh, get them to work as a spy for them all those types of things making them susceptible to blackmail and that made them a security risk but as Frank Kameny pointed out what makes them which they're not necessarily more susceptible to blackmail but what even would make that happen is your laws that are making them feel they can't be themselves the fact that they are doing something that has to be hidden makes them more likely, even in your own understanding, to uh, be susceptible to blackmail. And so we see that the arguments in favor of discriminating always throughout history are very tenuous. They're very weak. People will say certain things, even when we look about, for example, racism, to try to explain why um, racism or racist policies are okay because they talk about the inferiority of of certain people um, or a certain group. And so we see that throughout the book about them being, even the title, The Deviance War, being sexual deviance, being mentally ill. And so this is something as a member uh, of the mental health 
professional community, I have issue with or have to recognize um, that it's part of the legacy of, of the psychological and psychiatric history is to look at mental illness as an illness. Sorry, ment- uh, sorry, homosexuality is a mental illness, as a diagnosable mental illness. And it wasn't until I believe it was 1973, um, after a lot of pushing and, and even they crashed, in a sense, one of the meetings of the American Psychiatric Association. But there was a lot that was going on that finally led to it being removed from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is essentially in the United States, what mental health professionals use to diagnose people. So then it was taken off and no longer a diagnosis, but that was just um, not even, uh, what, maybe 40-some-odd years ago that that happened. So it's still looked at as a mental illness for people being born a certain way, for being a little different than what we might think is um, the norm, and even that norm is not as clean-cut as we might think. People are a little bit different in general from the norms that we think are there. And in the beginning of the book, he talks about the, the research of Dr. Kinsey, who found that you know the way we think of sexuality and sex and what people actually do is different from um, what most people would like to think, especially years ago and even still, is the ways that everyone is. Uh, so the book goes through this whole process. You have lots of different court cases and And the book seems to be just incredibly well-researched. Again, the author is Eric Servini. Uh, I was very grateful for the painstaking work I'm sure he had done to write this book and to express so much of what happened. And what's interesting also is we think about the movements that were going on. And even within the movements, we see the inner turmoil that comes up. And he expresses that really interestingly in different ways. One is, for example, lesbians at times felt left out of the movement it was really gay rights more than it was lgbtq rights as these terms and phrases and ways we talk about these issues has also of course evolved and so women would feel left out at times and this relates to a topic that's come up on recent shows about intersectionality a term created by kimberly crenshaw i believe around 1990 to for example look at if you have a black woman there's being black is a minority status and being a woman also is when you're in a patriarchal society. So similarly, if you were a lesbian, you had to deal with being non-conformist as far as sexuality goes, being lesbian and then also being a woman. And so even within the the gay community, they felt they could be left out. And this led, led to certain types of conflicts or feeling that they were not included, wanting to include their own thing, you know, finding ways to collaborate, but there was tension there for sure. And then even Frank Kameny himself, quite an interesting individual. For me, I try to be careful not to diagnose someone, and I wouldn't diagnose him, but you do see some interesting aspects of his character. He was a scientist and an astronomer. I think you can see a rigidity in the way that he thinks about things. Of course, he was very good at challenging the status quo, Uh, And if it didn't make a logical sense to him, he was good at challenging it. But he liked to do things a certain way within certain rules to the point where people would get frustrated working with him, that he would use, um, I think they're called the Roberts Rules of Order when you're having certain types of meetings, and he had memorized them. And so because of that, he would take advantage of that to a degree and make sure he got to talk more than everyone else. And and so you see that he had a single-mindedness that might have 
made him difficult to work with in some ways. Of course, he collaborated with many people and did so much, but at the same time um, made him focused on his task and keep going forward, that he was very committed to this. And it seems to be part of his character was in that way, just he could focus on one thing, laser focus on it, and would keep fighting in that direction. And so he was able to achieve so much because of that. But you also see his personal struggles of, um, because he couldn't work, very often being very poor, where he was barely eating, could not pay his bills. He talks about how he had become professional at dodging bill collectors and you know, he struggled a lot. And that also points to the real pain and sacrifices that people like him have and continue to face as members of the LGBTQ community. He was a qualified scientist, but he was not allowed to do his work because of um, being homosexual in a country that was not accepting of him. And so he was not mentally ill, as he puts it. The system was ill. The system was unaccepting of a large portion of its own individuals. And so I might continue on the book because we're at a commercial break, a little bit past the commercial break. So I'm talking about The Deviant's War by Eric Servini. I'll probably wrap up some thoughts on the book and then get into some other things related to it after the break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dralakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So I'm talking about the book, The Deviant's War by Eric Servini, The Deviant's War, The Homosexual versus the United States of America. Really interesting book centers around um, Frank Kameny, who was an astronomer, and uh, he really was instrumental in some of the developments of the legal battles that the LGBTQ community has uh, fought in the United States helping many people along the way. He was not a lawyer. He was an astronomer, but he wrote his own, um, he, well, he defended even himself and he would actually be the counsel for many people throughout uh, history. He helped support many people. He would let them write to him and really was incredible in what he was able to accomplish during his life. He passed away um, not that many years ago. I forgot what was, was it was 2011 um, not that long ago he, he passed, but he thankfully got more recognition. To be honest, I hadn't heard of his name until I'd heard about this book. And so, you know, as is often the case, there are some um, unsung heroes or people that you don't know about who've had a big impact. And not only that, throughout the book, you get introduced to, you know, maybe 50, 100 very important people in the movement that had different roles and made different contributions. And so uh, he was obviously one of them in the book centers around him, but you get to meet a lot of people. And he actually also, I can mention, he sloganed or he made a, a slogan, gay is good, which he was inspired by the black is beautiful um, slogan that the black rights activists had started. He would say gay is good. And I'm looking right now at a picture of him holding a sign uh, that says gay is good. And, and then, you know, Going back to him and his interesting personality, he was very, you know, he liked things to be organized, be a certain way. When people, when he first started protesting, so he did some picketing and things. Um, he was actually in, involved with some of the first uh, openly um, picketing events or protesting events for the LGBTQ community. He made everyone, every, men had to wear a suit, women had to wear dresses, 
They couldn't have beards. Even the signs, he had to not only approve of a lot of times, he would make them himself. The lettering had to be a certain way. They had to have, I think it was, it was five staples on the front, five on the back. The same sign had to be on the front and the back of every sign. Everything had to be very orderly, which could have been good. And the reason why he was so adamant about this was that he was concerned that if they, you know, as being assumed already to be deviants and to be mentally ill and to be um, bad for society, being immoral, he wanted to make sure people didn't have like an excuse to say, oh, look at those people and they look so different or weird or whatever, however they might have judged it. He wanted to leave that all out. Or if the, the fight was to allow them to work for the government, he wanted them to look like government employees. So see, they can um, be members of the workforce and supporting the community. So he wanted them to represent that. So that could have been good. The organization, the structure can be helpful, but it did start to lead to conflict as people felt that they were being left out. Even in one of the protests, two women wanted to hold hands and he came in and, and kind of, I think, broke their hands up or somehow intervened in a strong way because you're saying, no, we can't do that. We can't show that. And, and so many people felt um, as I was mentioning before, women feeling left out by the gay community who was pushing for gay rights, but maybe leaving them behind. Many felt that him and some other individuals, um, they were leaving out many of the members of the LGBTQ community. In a way, it was kind of just for uh, the gay male, white male was the only person being included in this movement. So again, not only is it about women and lesbians, but you can have people who are uh, not white, and they have a different experience, and of course, trans and others. And so the movement did start to change, and you see that it was hard for Ka Frank Kameny to change with the movement in some ways. I, The way I saw him, there was a rigidity in his character personality that um, kept him within a certain realm of doing things the way he was doing them, which were very effective. He made huge change and has been honored for the work that he's done. But it did not always um, make everyone feel good. And so he, people didn't want him to have power in certain groups, even a group that he helped start because they felt that he was hijacking the uh, power and the time. And so it, that was also interesting to see that the inner turmoil that happens. We sometimes think about a movement and things happen and now there's rights for this group. But of course, within every movement, there's turmoil, there's challenges. They had to make decisions. Some people were for it, some were against it. There's factioning of the, the groups. And then that leads to some issues. Well, should we just find a way to agree? Or do you feel like if your point is important, you make it anyway and you go off in your own way? And it's not always going to be a very clear-cut answer, but you get a sense of some of the things that people went through within this movement, which was quite interesting. So, um, and you are at times, of course, shocked by, for example, congressional committee interviewing Frank Kameny and asking detailed questions about his sexual life. And it's an interesting irony that they're saying he's a sexual deviant and um, what he does is immoral and bad. And then you have these people asking detailed questions about sexual life in an official government hearing about what kind of sex, how many people, what's you know going on. So we see the, the immorality or what, the indecency of those questions in a type of government proceeding is probably what's indecent, not people in the creating relationships with each other, physical, sexual, or, 
romantic relationships and that being bad. Uh, so that was interesting to see that they were so brazen and so confident that they were right and these people were wrong and bad that they felt they could treat them in any way. And you, you see that derisiveness talking down to them. Even when AIDS was becoming more known uh, in the United States, there was a, a, a conversation, I think it was with someone on Reagan's chief of staffers, press secretary, I think it was, and they asked him about it and he said, I don't have it, do you? And kind of in, it's a joking way, like it's funny to basically say, look, I'm not, of course, I'm not gay, are you gay? Which would be a way of insulting the person or making a joke of it, which we're talking about an illness that took many people's lives, thankfully does less in a country like the United States because of medical advancements, but still is uh, an illness, but took many lives. And it was talked about in this way of who cares or these people who have this disease, um, even though it, of course, doesn't only affect people who are gay. But we see that talking down to, which is which is horrible, and a reminder that anytime you find yourself talking down to a person or also a group, rather than it reflecting badly on that person or group, it reflects poorly on you. Why are you so against someone? putting them down, saying they are less than you, less than human. It doesn't reflect something good about you. Sometimes we think, oh, I see them as so bad because I'm so good or I uh, understand things in a certain way or I'm so morally superior that I can look down on them. But if anything, it shows you being morally inferior to people when you're putting others down and thinking they are less than. And so we see it throughout history and we still see this where individuals of certain groups or certain groups as a whole are looked down upon and the people feel really good about it because that's how we feel when we put others down. We, it makes us come up. I'm not saying this in a way to recommend it, but in to understand why this always happens. Talking about our own superiority, one of the easiest ways to do that is to make other people feel inferior. If I say you're less than me, by comparison, I'm now above you and I feel very good. When really it's about me becoming the best part of myself, best version of myself, without having to put anyone else down to establish that. I'm worthy of rights, of respect. I can be good, but I don't need to put anyone else down. And so this is a reminder to ourselves that we almost all have some type of racism or prejudice within us. And usually we think that means we've recognized something about this group and we're aware of something. But I would invite you to always recognize what might it be saying about me? Why am I feeling this about this group? Why would I have to put them down? Uh, and so in this book, The Deviant's War, you see as history is unfolding the ways that people were changing. And so even right now when we look at something like race and racism in the United States, a lot of things have to ha have to happen. You do need to make legal changes, and you see Frank Kameny fighting so much in a legal way. Of course, then he did other things and was becoming more militant to try to promote his ideals and ideas. Um, but you had to do legal changes and change the hearts and minds of people, none of which happened quickly ever. When we look at any of these uh, movements for any group, we see that it takes time, unfortunately, usually too long in a ways that is very unfair, uh, but it takes time. And so we see how over time the ways the public felt, the way the government felt, was starting to change. And it was slow, 
but it was happening and it's still happening. It's still not there. And it's interesting to look at sometimes what looks like progress. When we look at it now, we're like, that's, that's not very good. So for example, in the military for a long time, you could be kicked out if you were um, found to be homosexual or suspected of homosexual activity. And then what was considered great progress was in, I think it was the nineties, this, uh, you could, don't ask, don't tell. So the, the army, the military can no longer ask you about your sexuality, but you also wouldn't tell because if they did find out, they could discharge you because of that. And so that was happening till not that long ago. Maybe it was in the 2000s at some point that that changed. So this, what looked so progressive, of course, progress can be slow, but we can recognize that it might be so hard for us to fathom something even more equal that when something is very unequal, when we make it a little less unequal, it might seem like huge progress or that we've created something amazing and people should be so happy. And sometimes you see that a group is fighting for equal rights, but that group has very little rights, gets discriminated in very significant ways. And the government or the world, let's say, gives them something, still not equal rights. And then we think, oh, you should be happy with that. I can't believe you're complaining after we've given you something. But if you're getting something unfair and it becomes slightly less unfair, but is still unfair, that's not okay. And it's not that you should just be grateful and accept that. It makes sense that you're fighting for equal rights, that you want things to be just and fair. You feel that you are as worthy as anyone else to get those rights. And so you see that struggle happening. Um, where people even within the community maybe didn't think it was possible for certain things like gay marriage to happen. Some people would bring it up, but for some people it seems so far-fetched or maybe something they didn't even think possible that they weren't really bringing it up. But lastly, I mentioned a, a few times about the different um, people within the group that sometimes would feel neglected. So we can see that even within the group there were some prejudice and discrimination that certain types of quote-unquote gays or queers or trans people were not getting or being included in the movement for, for some people or the way they viewed that. So we see that these issues are very complex, that people are moving for equal rights, but maybe even within that group, they might look down on other people within what might be considered within their own group or other people who are fighting for equal rights, which is quite interesting that um, it shows how complex these issues are that we can be blind to certain things ourselves, even if we think we're being open-minded or fighting for rights. Another reason why we have to constantly be reflective, try to understand, am I leaving people out of my fight for justice? Am I not aware of discriminating certain people? Am I making certain assumptions about who is included and who is not that I'm not even realizing I am making. And so we see that even within the LGBTQ community and the movement, there was all these different things that came up, issues about who would be included and who would not, which could challenge how they unified and work together. And so hopefully now we could recognize and be aware that we might miss people and make sure we're not missing anyone. Uh, um, one group, for example, is people who are trans are still discriminated against and oftentimes were not included in some of the movements. As I mentioned earlier in the U.S. military, as far as I know, um, recently they're still not allowed. It was, uh, I think it was during the Trump administration, an order was put out that they could not serve in the military. And there's always some excuse of, 
uh, confusion or it's going to cost money for this or it's going to be that. Uh, for the gays working, it was sometimes, well, it's going to be too distracting for employees around them. Um, interesting thing to blame others, but because they're going to be distracted or it's going to affect them, um, you can't work there. And so we see the excuses throughout history of reasons why we discriminate and don't give rights to certain groups. It's almost puzzling and alarming that we can't just realize everyone deserve, deserves equal human rights. All human beings deserve all human rights, but somehow it still can be confusing or we think there, think there are some people that shouldn't get that, don't deserve that. And the fights continue and we're not quite there. And so we have to all be vigilant as well. And as I mentioned before, even recognize groups or individuals that we might not realize we're not thinking of, or somehow we do actually have a, a prejudice or discrimination against because then we're contributing to the problem just as much as anyone else. So highly recommend uh, the book. I know I went off topic of a bit of, of course, as all the books, and especially this one, brings up a lot of different uh, thoughts and things and uh, different areas to explore. And so in, going into the last segment, I'm going to open it up to questions from the Instagram live, but have some thoughts to continue on this topic as well. So let's go into our last commercial break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So on tonight's show, I've been talking about the book, The Deviant's War, The Homosexual versus the United States of America by Eric Servini. And so you know, this topic of LGBTQ community is something that I've covered on my show since I've started and um, one that I will continue to talk about. June was actually uh, Pride Month. I think now we're in July. But, you know, in a way, I think, of course, we want to talk about these issues in any month if it's about human rights and about the rights of people, just like we don't want to just talk about issues related to black uh, history and African-American issues in February, because that's Black History Month, it's always the right time to talk about human rights. So um, when I talk about these issues, it, I know it brings up a lot of things for people. People can get very uncomfortable. Um, uh, even I know it's a delicate topic, which is why I try to talk about it. I do want to make sure um, I bring up difficult conversations or topics that people might avoid that make them uncomfortable because I know that when we don't talk about things, it leads to people suffering in silence. If we don't talk about childhood sexual abuse, it's not going to make it go away. It's going to actually make it more likely that it can go unnoticed. And then the people who are the victims of it will have a harder time to talk about it, to get help, to share with their family. But if we make it more okay to talk about, it's a horrible thing. So when I say okay, meaning that we can handle the conversations, it's something that can be brought up, then it makes it that we can at least minimize the hurt, maybe even prevent some of it from happening. So I'll talk about suicide the same way, because if we're afraid to ask if someone is suicidal, because we don't know if it's okay, we don't know if we can handle it, we feel too uncomfortable well, then we're going to avoid bringing it up. And unfortunately, maybe someone that needed us to intervene or to ask if they needed help, they won't be able to ask us. And, and tragedy then can, can be the result, which very often, unfortunately, really is the case. People sometimes think, well, if someone is suicidal, they're going to do it anyway. But 
this uh, is not really the full story. These things are more complicated than that. There's a story that I thought was maybe a fake uh, story or just kind of like a myth or urban legend, but I forgot which book I was reading. It might have been the book Suicidal by Jesse Baring. Um, but it shared this story that I'd heard before that someone said they were going to kill themselves, go jump off of the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. But they said if one person says hi to me or asks if I'm okay because I think they were crying, then I would not kill myself. And I guess no one did. I think one person asked him to take a picture or maybe, I guess, I don't know how that's reported, but somehow uh, apparently I think he wrote that and then he ended up uh, dead from jumping off of the bridge. And, And so we see that it's not this thing that we can't do anything about it. By not talking about things, they don't go away. And um, by uh, talking about them, we can hopefully prevent the harm and make things better. Now, I even want to be careful how I make that connection here with the LGBTQ community, because that's different from something like abuse, of course, and suicide. But when people are told that who they are is not okay in different ways, could even be subtle, but very, of course, explicit as well. Uh, but even subtle ways can be harmful. That affects who they are and how they live their lives. So, for example, when the, you know you talk about the tea rooms and people who were, were gay had to try to meet each other in ways that were very clandestine and secret and then also could get themselves in bad situations, we create an environment where people might feel like they have to do something that might not be as safe in order to be themselves or to do what they want to do. So by not talking about these issues or by maybe the other way, by talking about the LGBTQ community, I'm hoping it makes it more comfortable for people to talk about this because I also see this in families where um, son or daughter might be a member of the LGBTQ community but doesn't know how to bring it up to their family or if they can or will they be disowned. It still is something that happens that people are disowned, kicked out of their homes. This is why we see higher rates of homelessness among the LGBTQ community, because sometimes when they come out or their parents find out, they are kicked out of the home or different things happen to them. Then they can be discriminated against in society as well, but they have these experiences as a result. And so I hope talking about the issue can make it easier for people to talk about it, because I've seen people suffer when we say that who they are even is unspoken we can't talk about it or um, is of course something bad and in a lot of families especially a lot of iranian families it's on the the taboo side where it's something not even talked about and this is why i tell parents be mindful of what you say around your kids Uh, i mean for me of course even about any race and you should look at yourself anyway but people of different races or religions but also people who are members of, let's say, the LGBTQ community. Your kids are taking these things in. They're hearing what you're saying and internalizing it in multiple ways. But one is they're going to start having those judgments themselves. Yeah, those people are bad. You know, I remember mom and dad saying this group was bad or that group is bad. And then now they might be, let's say, they might grow older and figure out they're bisexual or gay or trans. And now what are they going to do? First of all, they're going to be afraid to tell you because you've clearly shown how you feel about this group. But I don't know if this is worse, but it's different. But they've likely internalized what you're saying. And so if they are 
this thing that you've said is so bad or who they are is so bad, they can have that negative feeling towards themselves. And so what we've created in society is this experience for members of the LGBTQ community where they have to, first of all, coming out first and recognizing in themselves, and then there's various ways of and levels or layers of coming out to different people. But the experience they have is complicated in so many ways. You know, they could come out to friends and family. They might come out openly in society, issues that came up in the book. But then within themselves, they have to have this um, coming out or acknowledgement of who they are. And very often, people who are members of the LGBTQ community can have an internalized uh, homophobia, if you want to call it that, or internalized negative feelings about themselves for being members of the LGBTQ community. And again, sometimes I've heard this argument less now, but I'm sure still people are making it, that see, that means people from that group, they don't even like it. They don't feel good about being that way. But we know that society's feelings have changed and this has impacted them. So clearly it's not about being homosexual or being gay, being lesbian. It's about the way society views that and how that makes you feel, not something inherent in being a member of the LGBTQ community. So for example, around 9-11, being Middle Eastern in a country like the United States was a little bit more challenging. And maybe you would rather not be Middle Eastern in some ways because it would be more stressful or you're getting discriminated against in different ways. That doesn't mean there's something inherent in being Middle Eastern that makes you worse than other people are bad. It just means that your treatment is worse. The way people are looking at you are worse, and that's going to affect how you feel about it and how you get affected by it. So, um, you know, these issues are very complicated and convoluted, of course, but we have to be aware of the effects that the way the world is looking at people is going to affect them. So people um, who are LGBTQ might have this feeling towards themselves, not because they are bad, but because society has told them they are bad in different ways or not good or, you know, whatever it might be, embarrassment, ashamed, whatever the feeling is they got from their family. And it's not just family, of course, society as well is going to have a big big impact on that. So it's not just even if you as a parents make your kids feel good about whoever they are, whatever, um, however they express themselves and who they become, uh, they might of course get messages from society that you can't completely control. You can only impact so much. And so, you know, another thing people will sometimes say is, well, you're trying to, by talking about it, maybe you make people something, make them gay or lesbian or bisexual. And the way we look at and understand attraction and sexuality. It's not something that you quote unquote choose. It's a way that you are born and, and who you are. And you can't make someone or force them to like something they don't like. But what we want to do is to allow everyone to feel okay to be who they are. And this is for me, one of the goals of the show is to encourage the expression of every human being to who they be who they are. So it's not to say everyone has to become something. Even this uh, argument comes up when we talk about masculinity and femininity and feminism and women's rights, that some people say, oh, you're just trying to make men become like women and women become like men. And that's not at all 
what I'm saying. And of course, if we look at what feminism really is, it's about equality. It's not about putting men down. It's not about um, making people exactly the same. It's about equality of rights, equality of respect and dignity. Uh, it's not about making people better or same. Now, are there some people who will call themselves um, a, a feminist and then be against men? I'm sure there are. But if we look at really what feminism is about, it's about equality. And so when I promote feminism, it's not about making men and women the same. It's giving every individual and everyone in society the ability, the space, the flexibility to be who they want to be. If you are born male, but you want to act more in a way that's considered female, that's up to you. You should be given that space. If you're born male and you want to be in the way you feel and act in a very hyper-masculine way, that's okay too. You don't have to become more feminine. I also think looking at it from a psychological perspective, we all have different aspects of ourselves and really the healthiest person can bring out different aspects based on what's asked of them. So if you are maybe playing a sport, you might need to have more of that traditional masculine side, whether you're male or female, what we consider masculine. If you are interacting with a child, you might need a more nurturing side. Now, people might say that's more feminine. That itself can be loaded because society can change what's considered masculine and feminine over time. Um, and that itself shows that it's not something ingrained and something that's just part of who we are. But the whole movement of something like feminism for me is, of course, to give women more rights, to give them equal rights, but also to allow men to express sides of themselves as well, to give everyone that opportunity to be who they are and who they want to be. And so when we look at the LGBTQ community, and this is even when we talk about pride, and I mentioned how Frank Kameny came up with that slogan, gay is good. But when we look at pride, and I've talked about this recently, that sometimes that word, of course, we associate in a negative way. There is false pride and negative pride, but there's a genuine pride, which is good. But when we've told people for so long they should be ashamed of who they are, they're saying, no, I'm not going to be ashamed of being who I am. I'm proud to be who I am. So I hope we can celebrate that, that when people are expressing their pride in being who they are, they deserve to, to express that. And it's coming from that lack of being loved and accepted for who they were for so long, which still continues, which contributes to that feeling of that need to express that pride. So I try to talk about lots of different issues, um, but when I talk about the LGBTQ community, when I see the way people are suffering for being themselves, for being who they are. That's something I really take issue with and I think is not okay. We should allow for everyone to be who they want to be, who they are, to have equal rights regardless of those things. And then uh, the rest we can kind of figure out. But the first thing is that everyone deserves equal rights. And so, um, you know, as I'm talking, I can see some conversation even on the Instagram uh, questions about this because it brings up a lot of thoughts and we want to make sure we, we continue the conversations because something else that happens, as I mentioned before about the delicateness of these kinds of topics, it can make us afraid of saying the wrong thing and then people are going to tell us you were, you know, homophobic or racist or whatever the issue is, would be. We do want to be very mindful of our language, but we have to allow for the space that people maybe even with 
good intentions are going to make mistakes, but we have to be able to have the conversations and dialogues. So I welcome people to share their thoughts with me um, on social media, but you know, in whatever way you can, because we want to continue this discussion. And for me, it's always about allowing everyone to have equal rights and for everyone to have the freedom and flexibility to be themselves, whoever that might be. We're not trying to make everyone the same. We're trying to allow everyone to be who they are. That brings us to the end of uh, tonight's show. Thank you to Amir here in the studio again. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful night. Mm-hmm.